0: Welcome to this Barks podcast. This is Nikki Touch, thank you for joining us. Today, I'm going to share with you a panel discussion that took place during the Up Your Business Game event held by the Pet Professional Guild between April 19 and 23rd. This was a free five-day event for the PPG membership. It was to help PPG members navigate through this difficult year as a result of COVID. On the panel, there was Dr. Robert King, Gina Farris from Dog Biz and Colleen Ellis. There are some really valuable golden nuggets that can be extracted from this 50-minute discussion. Hope you enjoy it.
1: No, Nikki Tudge here. I'm just um, just give me a 2nd I'm going to share
0: my camera so um, folks can see see me. And I'm hoping that our panel will come off and show their cameras. But first of all, a welcome to um, up your business game. This is the first of two panel discussions that we're doing. And um, basically, we are here to answer any questions that you may have about marketing, business, sales. Pretty much anything, actually. We'll answer anything we can and just do some quick intros. I am joined today, I've got three fabulous people here today. I know them all personally, so it's just I feel like I'm sitting here surrounded by a bunch of friends. So first of all, I'm gonna introduce my friend and colleague, Colleen Ellis. Hello, Colleen, how are you? Colleen's come off camera, so lovely. Oh, we are. Hi, Hi. thanks for joining us. You guys, will love Colleen. She's just full of energy, full, full, full of energy. And our second panel is <laughs> Sorry, Gina Harris from Dogbiz and everyone knows Gina. Hi Gina, <laughs> I feel like I'm running a quiz show getting. <laughs> and our, square. Third, our third contestant this evening, this afternoon, is Dr. Robert King. Where are you, Robert? Woohoo! Oh my, how serious I mean, you look in your office. Hello, very smart. So welcome everybody. These
1: um, are great. So,
0: so they're fake okay yeah some of these yeah we've all got these like fake certificates behind us excellent well thank you so much for joining us ladies and gentlemen and and i'm just going to pull up my audience panel here so Oh, we've got several people here lovely jubbly so audience if you have any questions please feel free to ask them I've got a couple of questions here to get us all started there's no gotcha questions here so um, if you don't know the answer you will not be awarded a point and points mean prizes so if you don't know the answer just pass on to your fellow contestant I'm actually quite enjoying the theme of this okay are you ready for question number one <laughs> All right, so what I'm going to do, guys, I know this is, the whole goal of this is to be very casual and have lots of fun. So um, please do chirp in whenever you feel like it. So I'm going to start off with a question that, Gina, you and I have discussed this before. I know you and I both have the same opinion about this. So I'm going to ask Colleen and Robert. um, It's one of the questions that lots of people discuss in our industry is whether you should have your pricing on your website or whether you should not. And um, there's a couple of very loud voices in our industry about this. And whenever I've sort of seen them write about this or reference this, there never seems to be any data to support it. And um, let's let's not have any any gotchas. So Gina and I both believe, I think, unless Gina's changed her opinion, that you should put pricing on websites because we should be transparent. Um, correct, Gina? Is that that's how you feel?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, the, and another big reason I am a proponent of it is because dog trainers historically are not comfortable selling. And right. so the more the website can sell for them, the better generally. So for our industry, it, it seems to be a, a good practice.
0: Perfect. OK, so I'm going to go to Robert first. Let's put Robert on the hot seat, our academic here. Robert, what are your thoughts on pricing on websites, transparency, etc.?
3: Well as everyone knows as a academic I'm supposed to give you the answer of it depends. Okay. And so what I mean by that is it depends on what your outcome you're trying to go with. And so I do it from I'll take it from a time saving standpoint. If I have let's just say I have a very 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 high price, I'm going for that super premium. Do I want to put uh do I want people who cannot, you know, fit in that category to contact me and take up a lot of time? And so as a if I'm a small business, I have I'm a only sole proprietor, I probably would put mine out there just to make sure people are aware this is our starting thing. We call it a reference price. So here's my, here's the reference price that you're dealing with. Can you, can you pay to play? Right. And that could go, and it it doesn't have to be super premium. It could just be that your particular area, uh, $10 is a lot, right? It doesn't have to be, you know, $50,000 an hour and you get, uh, you know, bottled water for your dog and all that kind of stuff. So it depends on who you're, what you're trying to go for. If you're in a market that's, uh heavily saturated and you're all roughly the same price again i still don't don't see any reason why you wouldn't put that out there saves time and it gives people more information because information is important that's why the uh, internet exists is to get rid of that asymmetric information yeah
0: and I think it goes back to um, the, you know, I say the olden days when I was younger and I was out buying dresses because I certainly wouldn't be buying dresses right now. Haven't in about twenty years. When you Me wandered either. down the high street and you, you haven't bought a dress either, Robert. No, you're never been in the market for buying dresses.
3: Oh, lately, as you can tell from the picture and from here, the the time at home hasn't helped out a lot.
0: <laughs> I think you look wonderful.
1: Oh. All right.
0: Um. So <laughs> walking down the high street you know those stores that traditionally don't have pricing in the window the old mantra was you just unless you're really really rich you don't go in them do you because you know that anything in there is going to be top ticket prices so i i've always felt the same about websites that I, i don't think pricing has to say precisely i think it can say starting from or so that people know if they're in the ballpark so um colleen what are your thoughts on transparency of pricing
4: so remember i come from death care Okay, and even in death care, which um, is one of those, even though it happens to everybody, it's still a very mysterious process as to what do I actually get. So I like how Robert postured that with reference pricing. And one of the things I'm gonna throw out and I'll talk about in my discussion on Friday, you know what, I love, I love being the highest priced in town. I love it, I love it, I love it when I can justify it with value. And so it's, I love the way Robert put it with reference pricing. Here's the other thing, for all y'all on here who believe you shouldn't put your pricing on the website, I want you to be mindful of the next time you're perusing the internet to find something to purchase. And if you land on a site and the prices aren't there, do you call or do you go right by it and you go try to find the price that does have the have the pricing on it? Because yeah. I'm gonna guess you probably go right by it. So yeah. by not knowing your prices, I think you are alienating. Let's go back to Nikki's buying a dress. If you think about going into a dress store or going into a, um, a a restaurant and the prices aren't on the menu or the prices aren't on the dress, do you believe that it's too high and you probably should leave? Yes. Number two, even starting out, it, when you, as you put it, Nikki, I'd be really careful with that because what that tells me is uh oh if they're starting at that price when i call her she's going to start doing add-ons and then it's going to get to a point i can't afford it and i'm going to have to tell her that Mm -hmm. and so now i'm going to go the last thing here and stop vomiting on you so the last thing that i'm going to say on pricing is whatever your price is i want you to load up everything that's included in that price and then put the price and so if somebody calls you on the phone and says tell me what tell me about your price and let's remember this too now i'm on a roll sorry when people call you and ask about their price they don't know what to ask you because they everybody knows what a dollar is what you don't know everybody on this call is you don't know the value of the dollar to them versus the value of the dollar to you so to be safe they say how much are your prices i want you to reframe it in your head and it's not price shopping it's education shopping
0: And and I'm going to jump in on that because I think it's one of the things that we get very wrong in our industry. How a week does not go by that I'm not cruising on social media and I see somebody saying, God, I'm so sick of all these messages people leave me saying, what's your price? Or I'm so sick of answering the phone and somebody, the first question is, what's your price? And I remember this from spending time with Colleen. And it's like, If you are just like everybody else and you're not differentiating yourself, what else is the client supposed to ask you? They're not gonna say to you, could you please explain the difference between your core, your action, your augmented product, please, so I can differentiate you between the trainer that's five miles down the road. They can't ask you that because you clearly have not provided that information on your website. Therefore, the only question they can ask is, because they're comparing dollar to dollar, is how much do you charge? So um, I think we need to stop looking at those people as being just price shoppers. Plus, what's the wrong with a price shopper? Because it gives you a lead that you can then capture and convert into a piece of business. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to be really careful that we don't just write these price shoppers off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll give you an example. I just ordered 20 pallets of grass for my new lawn and I had like five companies in the area. And what do you think the question is that I asked everybody first? What's your price? What's your price per pallet? Because I was getting everything from 125 to 450. And then the que- and then once somebody engages in the game with me, then I say, does that include delivery? When you get here, do you have a small forklift so you can move it to the second acre of my property? Because I don't want it all dumping on the drive. But the first question people ask, which is the start of the conversation is, what do you charge? And I think as trainers, as salespeople, as business owners, we have to grab that and go, this is great. I've got this person on the phone. Now I can educate them about why I'm different and why they should book me. Yes, Mr. King.
3: I want to add one quick thing. This is the pure academic me. you all touched on a lot of really cool, fun stuff, but one I think that we really need to talk about. So we need to talk about the difference between price and value. Colleen mentioned value. And so from a pure marketing standpoint, the thing we say is that the benefits that you receive minus the cost that you're going to pay is what that value is and so value doesn't necessarily mean low cost it can be very high benefit right so if I'm a you know I travel the world a lot and it makes sense for me to actually buy my own personal jet the benefit I receive minus the cost is what the value actually is and so what you're trying to do with your example of the grass is you know kind of what the benefit is you have a rough idea of I have a patch I need grass for the thing and so then you're saying what's the the minus there to make sure this makes sense yeah. for me because in a purest sense if you do a subtraction and that's a negative number that's a bad idea you don't need fifty thousand dollar a square inch grass that is hyper specific or whatever unless it actually is and that's your benefit side so when you start thinking about cost you shouldn't be afraid of cost you just need to make sure that you overemphasize what that benefit thing is and i think that's what yeah. Colleen was trying to say is line these things out this is the benefit there's the cost is this actually what you're looking for and that gives people information where they can say i don't actually want all that other stuff i just want this one thing and so then they can say this value doesn't make sense Mm -hmm. to me
4: and you know how you figure out if you got value If, if your client got value you know how you figure that out you ask them the question i never serviced a family that i didn't send a survey afterwards and one of the questions on that survey said tell me tell me how you felt about the price you paid for my service and there were four answers exactly what I expected more than I expected less than I expected listen up peeps the fourth answer was the value of your service far outweighed the price I paid And if you don't know where your price should be, then I'm going to tell you, ask that question in your follow-up survey. And whenever that number started dipping below 90% for me, and I'm doing death care, you guys, when it dipped below 90% for me, I knew price elasticity had been met. And I'll give you a second one here. I secret shop pet crematories all the time. I secret shop them all the time. And if you want to know how you should be handling your, your calls on pricing or how you shouldn't, I'm telling you star six, seven, your phone and do a secret shop call, cause you'll be amazed at what you hear. But when I would secret shop and the question I would ask is tell me about your services, do you know the first thing they would tell me about their price?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: When, when we make it about price, they make it about price. Stop making it about price.
0: And I'm yeah. gonna come back. To, I'm gonna let Gina jump in, but I'm gonna come back to you in a few minutes, Colleen, because I want to talk about your own list and how important that is in terms of pricing. So we'll come. We'll come back to that. Gina,
2: go. See, one of the mistakes I see people make when their trainers make when they're pricing is they also they price their time as if we're selling to our time, and we need to get out of that structure. That is not what you are selling, people. You are selling transformation, a change in behavior, a change in lifestyle, difference with their dog. And so, so often we see pricing based on the time that you put in um, or you keep promoting your service structure. I'm promoting classes. I'm promoting private training. But that's not what people are looking for. What they want to know is how is my life with my dog going to be different because I've hired you?
0: Yeah, and, I, and I'm gonna go back to, I used those three words earlier, the core, the benefit and the augmentation because um, the core of service that we're all doing, let's take a dog training lesson. We're all offering a similar, the core service is dog training. The the Sorry, the, the core service is the benefit is what they're getting from it in terms of reduced problems, less stress, etc. And um, the actual service is the actual interaction, but we need to also think about augmentation and this goes back to Colleen's only because I can sell a dog training session for $150 a session and I have got qualifications and I've got nice branding. I've got a good website. I've got a nice interface you can purchase from me easily. I send you email handouts after every lesson. I make make text accessible to you six hours a day. I invite you into a Facebook group where I give you support services. That is a very different dog training session than Sally down the road that sells a lesson, slaps a few treats into your dog's mouth and then says, see you next week, same time, same place. You can't expect those two services to be priced the same. They're entirely different services, So, which is why we shouldn't just be selling on time. We've got to be selling on experience and interface. And what's the end result? The end result is that you are providing solutions to somebody's problem. So if you don't know what your onlys are, what you're doing that nobody else is doing, you can't possibly market your business or sell. So um, let's talk about that for just a minute. Let's talk about those sort of onlys. And I'm going to ask Colleen to kick it off. So Colleen, talk to me about how you have onlys and how you always check in to make sure that somebody else hasn't sort of adopted those onlys. And if they have, then you push more up to the top. Talk to me
1: about
4: that. So it's finding those things that you are the only one that you do in town. And let us I love how Gina postured what she said. You know, when those phone calls come in, we are selling not our time, we're selling a solution to a problem. Mm-hmm. And so our first part of our conversation is, who's calling and what's the name of the baby love that we need to to get some help with. And tell me what's going on and tell me about all this stuff. And you start to dig down into what's important. And in my head, I know I'm the only one that has, and I'm gonna gonna botch this totally because I don't know the differentiators in pet training, but I do the texts and I bring this to you and you have homework and you've got this and you've got that. You've got all these six, these five widget things that you do. And so as we wrap up the call, and i'm and i'm now i'm ready to give the price for what they've called me for not only do i go through and i fix their problem okay i fix their i, I bring them the solutions to everything they told me was their problem remember guys when we get a phone call we've got to tune into the radio station w i i f m w i i f m what's in it for me i don't care about you i care how you're going to fix my problem okay WIIFN. So now you fix my problem. And then I said, by the way, should you, should you be price shopping and calling the next folks? I want to make sure that you ask them because you told me it was important to you that widget C, widget A was handled. And then make sure you ask about widget B, you know, do they send you texts because you want to know you've got 24/7 immediate access. Do they do widget C? And what you're basically doing you guys is setting up every other phone call from there on out for failure. Mm when they make the next phone call they're going to say do you do widget a and they're going to go oh heck no we don't do widget a because you know you're the only one you know you're the only one that does widget a and if you start to hear in your market that widget a that 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 susie smith trainer down the street's doing widget a then you better reach in your bucket and pull up another widget a
1: yeah
4: you always got to know what your only is you got to know your onlys
1: yeah
0: thank you very much gina
4: Yeah, we're gonna actually be touching on this
2: topic tonight um, in our talk at uh, six o'clock Eastern. Um, We're we're gonna be talking about packaging. And one of the things, um, one of the big pieces of packaging is what do you put in your packages? And one of the um, benefits that have come from the pandemic is that we are we are structuring our services differently. We are supporting our clients in ways that we never have before. Um, we are using the um, we're using Zoom technology to do Q and A's for classes in between sessions. We're using online shared documents to help with homework. So we have this this new technology that we as trainers have adopted. But how do we then include that? How do you price that? How do you put that into a package so that the package is unique to you, serves your clientele and their needs, as well as serves your business needs and your personal needs? So we're going to be taking a, a real deep dive into
0: that tonight. Excellent. God, I love this flow. I asked one simple question and here we are. We're still talking about pricing. Oh, my goodness. Robert, from an academic perspective, anything you want to add to that?
3: So I'll combine those last two things. So let me, I'm going to formally define something because that's what nerds do. So if you look at strategies broadly, Porter said there was two, low cost and differentiator. That's where that term comes from, is do you do something that's different than other people? But something that we need to focus on is when you differentiate, make sure it's something people care about. And so I think what's being uh, discussed there, Regina, is like, what can I put in there that actually matters? Because if I ask, you know, I add this to the package and it's just kind of stupid and no one wants it, you're not really adding any sort of value to it. Make sure those things that you're differentiating on are things that we actually care about. Um,
0: yeah, because yeah, that's,
3: that's just a formal people, difference
0: that's a really good point because otherwise people start saying "Well, i don't really want that and then they start trying to pick and choose the package because they see value to two things and no value to three things and they're assuming if they buy the package and then paying for things that they're just not going to use so therefore why why would they buy that package yeah
4: can i I add something in that nikki and it and it goes with what robert just said too it's also understanding your lane you know if you look at a, a if you look at a hilton chain of hotels the hampton Inn in their lane okay there's no bar there's no fine restaurant there's no you get a room you get a nice bed you get all that kind of stuff you jump up to you know an embassy suite a little bit higher you get some food you get a bar you get some other amenities they stay in their lane hampton inn is never going to offer a drink you're not Mm going to get or at least to the extent that embassy and then you go up to their higher end and they're all that so it's low cost best value and best solution okay best experience and so stay in your lane whatever you choose to do don't come out of your lane because you're gonna confuse your client and that's when price negotiating will happen and they'll right. continue the needle yet so figure out where you're at and if you're high cost and you say we're gonna do all these things then do those things if you choose to come in at low cost then stay low cost and say no you don't get the frills with me that's not what I do yeah. here's what you do
0: or there's or there's the potential for segmentation if you understand that you have i mean let's talk sort of apples to oranges i mean you may have a puppy service versus a behavior consulting versus a dog walking and each of those services is going to attract a different target market so you can't go out with these generic marketing flyers hoping that you might get two of those and one of those because if you're offering different solutions for different problems you need to recognize who that client is and how you're going to attract them so you so you can have a, a sort of a, a complete frills versus a no frills if you've got different segmentation yeah mm-hmm. anyone disagree with that robert's nodding his head so i might be okay
1: with that okay <laughs>
3: Target market is everything. I'm strategy trained. That's my background. That's everything. Everything based on your strategy. If you, whatever it is, the thing you do to stay in your lane, you need to know who you're going after and why you're going after them. That's target market. That's, that's the start. Because if you're trying to go super premium and you're in an area that cannot serve a super premium, you need Mm -hmm. to change.
1: Yeah,
2: And we, we see this mistake a lot um, along dog businesses, which is they don't know who their clients are. They think, you, th- you think that your clients are who's calling. Um, your clients are can be who you want them to be, uh, but you have to know who you're going after. You have to know their needs, their concerns, right. how they talk to one another. You, you have to know who they are.
0: Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, you know, I, I was in the hospitality industry for years and years, and we had in every, one of the people that worked for me was the hotel revenue manager. And just so you understand that everyone is listening, because I think this does apply to our industry too, every every week we had a three or four hour meeting that looked at revenue management. And what that revenue management did is it said, we have 540 guest rooms, 30% of it were going to sell to wholesalers, 20% to retailers, and the rest of it's going to FIT, which is a traveler that just comes in and just pays full rack rate. We knew months in advance what customer was buying what room at what period and what they were prepared to pay for it it's like on an airline so we could have a hotel that was full and we had somebody in a ocean view room paying two thousand dollars a night and in the room right next to them was somebody paying seventy five dollars depending on where they came from so target marketing is is so important in understanding and I don't think we can and I agree with Gina in terms of we're not selling time but what we do need to understand is is that time is perishable and is something that is very important to what we do if we have six appointments a day and we only sell four, those two appointments have gone. You cannot regroup them or recoup them. So we, we do need to recognize that what we have available to sell and we need to yield manage to make sure we get the maximum dollar for that time that's available. Because uh-huh. you, you can apply 30% less effort and actually generate more income if you're smart about how you're selling.
4: I want to springboard off of something Gina said, so we're all aware of this, because not only with what Gina and Robert said was segmenting your clientele and being aware of who they are, because it's not, it's probably not just the person calling. It's also being aware of who your competitor is, because your competitor is not just other people that are doing dog training. Your competitor is do nothing. Your competitor is the Zoom that is now happening, because 2020 retrained us all that we can do yeah. that. And so it's not just in your market now, it's anybody that's put zoom training out there or having zoom sessions. So be mindful of who are you competing with. Now you may also say back to Robert's point of, of this reference pricing being highest. I, I like to kind of swim in the blue ocean and say, nobody in here is really a competitor of mine. I've got industry participants and they all perform a pet cremation, but nobody does pet loss services. It's a, two, it's a totally different thing.
1: Yeah. So
4: figure out who you are, what you're marketing, who you're marketing it to, and who you're up against.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, have we, have we sort of drummed that drum, beaten that drum to death, so to speak, pricing? Yeah? Hard. Does anybody, does the audience have any questions on pricing, otherwise I'm gonna throw out my, uh, my next. Let me just check here. Let's see if Nikki can get her act together. Okay, all righty. Here's the a question and there isn't a right or wrong answer to this so if, if, if a business owner says I, I honestly don't have time for all this Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and I just I can't be doing all of it what would you recommend is the one thing in terms of social media marketing that they should do if they're going to do it consistently let's start with Gina
2: oh um if you're if you're looking for me to say this platform or that platform, I'm going to do it. It's a depends. I'm going to pull, pull a Robert um, because I it, it does depend on who your audience is. I, I think the key to what you said, though, was whatever you do, do it consistently. So um, if you're not going to be consistent, you're wasting your time. Um, and the other thing I would say is nobody said you have to do it. Um, so often we are so afraid to hand off. We're afraid to pay for professional services. We, we feel like, oh, we're not making enough. We can't possibly do it. And yet paying a good professional to help you with your marketing is going to bring that back and then some. So I would say if, if you're that against it, A, think about do I really need it? If I do, is there someone else who can do this better and more efficiently than I can? And then um, also, you know, pay attention to where is, again, where are your clients and pay yeah. attention to the platforms that are, that are right for them. But if you're not going to be consistent, don't start. It, yeah. You'll be wasting time
0: yeah I, I agree and i'm going to add there that we've got to stop thinking about marketing as being an expense it's an investment if you Sorry. do it pro- if you do it properly and you manage and track what you're doing and you know what your a, a new customer acquisition is from that then it's an investment i'll pay out 500 bucks every month any day if i get two new customers from it because i'm going to get more from the customers than 500 dollars. so and right. um, when people say "Well, i just can't afford to market you can't afford not to market you're in the business of growing your business unless you have a um trust fund which i don't anyone here have a trust fund I don't have <laughs> all right yeah, so that's a great answer robert what's your what's your advice
3: uh, i mirror everything jana said the thing about it is is what's the cost to you what's the benefit to you and why do you want to do that thing nothing bothers me more than going to a, a mediocre social media platform that they just don't want to do right yeah. and it depends on what your target market is if all of a sudden your target market is uh you know like young young 20-somethings, you should probably be on TikTok. If you don't understand TikTok, have someone do it for you. My hourly rate is $50. Well, if they can do it for 20 then I pay them and I make $30 by doing that. So always know your cost base.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, I have, and I a little bit of transparency here. About two months ago, I thought, you know what? Since I started Facebook back in 2007, I think it was, and then Twitter, and I sort of play at them all. I thought, you know, I really need to understand how these platforms work. So I actually paid and did four private sessions with Tracy Lee Davis, who is giving a session tomorrow. And I had four four lessons with Gina. With, that's a Freudian slip, Gina, with, um, with Tracy. And um, I learned so much about how to maximize using Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, just things that I would never have stumbled across on my own that have made such a huge difference and also email marketing. So again, there's no expense there because I, I'm already seeing the benefits from what I'm doing. So would I pay that money again? Absolutely. It was a great investment. I wish I'd done it bloody five years ago, quite honestly. I mean, really. So um, that's like when people ask us about dog bids, you know, is it worth going? And I'm like, you can't afford not to. They're there. They've got great resources. Use experts. We can't be all and everything in our businesses. There is not enough hours in the day, nor can we possibly learn everything there is to know. So um, Gina made the really good point. We need to find other people that can become part of our team that can help us do that. Yeah. Colleen, what do you think about um, social media? Is this a preferred platform?
4: Or- I'm going to go back to yourself as a as a person and say, stay in your lane, because if you're if you're bailiwick and you and your jam is training, then get out of the social media lane. Hire somebody. And, and here's the other deal. You know, you you can go to a class like Nikki did and you can learn. And for social for social media, it's for that snippet of time where all that stuff was relevant and pertinent. Algorithm changed for Facebook in January, and I, it shifted our entire, our entire social media strategy because now I've got to post it, and I don't. I hired mm-hmm. someone. It's not my jam. What she does is she says to me, I need you to write this. I need you to do this. I need you to send me this picture. I need your intro things to have these words in it. I can feed her content. Hey, but yeah. I'm not gonna go out there and watch the algorithms. I'm not gonna learn about it. I don't like it, just like I don't like doing accounting. If if I have to if I in my business have to focus on those things, you know what happens to me? I get disengaged and mm-hmm. I don't like life. I wanna hire the people that bring their strengths to my business, even if I'm a solopreneur. I want to I wanna bring them into my biz and I wanna go do what I do best mm-hmm. because then I'm gonna rock it. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to bring money into my organization that can pay those people who do my social media, who do this. And you know what I wouldn't discount, you guys? Here's what I do on social media. I go back to my alma mater, and I go to my marketing class, and I go to their social media class, and I say, give me a couple students, and that's who I want to do my social media. And let me tell you something. They freaking rock it. Yeah. They rock it. Yeah, so- You can get, because those kids over there, those kids are needing to fill out a portfolio. And so go give it to them. Have them design your stuff for you. Have them do your social media. You got a whole bunch of people in college that can help you and want to to help. So stay in your lane.
0: Yeah, that's a really great solution. And I'm actually just going to do a shout out because um, Brandy um, said here, shout out. Huge shout out to Dogbiz University because they do great Facebook and Instagram ad courses. So there you go. Okay.
1: okay.
0: Yeah. Robert, Mr. King.
3: I just want to add one other little caveat to that. Knowing your target market makes getting students a lot easier because the students have their perception of what you do. But you need to tell them, look, here's my brand. Here's what I do. Here's what I'd like to see. If you just go, I'll oh, just do whatever you want to do. You don't know what they're going to do. So make sure you can say these are the things that I know what I these are my things. Go make mm-hmm. it look like that. That, I was
0: that was a, bit of a scary answer, because Robert goes, if you don't tell them, they're just going to do their own thing, and you think, well, <laughs> they're going to be out there on TikTok doing, I don't know what, I mean, I don't,
4: I, to be honest, no, with everybody, TikTok, i got to so. tell you, you got a point, because the first time I, I teed that over to a college student, they go, you mean, you?" and I paid them, they go, you mean I actually am going to get paid to play on Facebook all day, and I go, you're going to get paid to learn <laughs> Facebook according to my client and what I do, and let me tell you something. Within a few days, it just so happened that Rachel Ray's dog died with this one. And I'm gonna talk about her on Friday, It's my niece actually. And uh, Rachel's Ray dog died and she put the post out there and did all the, you know, the looking for sympathies and stuff and Rachel Ray actually liked it. And I thought she was gonna wet her pants. She's like, I got Rachel Ray to like my (laughs) post.
0: Oh
1: my goodness.
0: All right, so that was um, that was social media platforms. okay, all right. um do Oh, I love this question. Do you believe the client is always right?
1: Should I go first?
0: Because mm-hmm. personally, I don't Short believe... answer, No. Okay, I don't <laughs> believe clients are always right. I think that if you are, doing ethical services and you're being professional and you're delivering on what you promised and a client's not happy and you've done everything in your power to rectify it. Sometimes, and in the past, I have actually said to clients, I'm really sorry, but I'm gonna have to let you go because they can just cause too much grief and some people are just unreasonable. So that doesn't mean that you, I mean, I apologize, you can apologize to a client, you don't have to accept, you can sort of say, I'm really sorry you feel like that, or I'm sorry that's been your experience, however, and with that said, I will add to that, that having worked in hospitality for 30 years, I always loved it when I got, it was not often that I got called out to deal with a client's problem because I was quite senior. And when I did, I knew it was a really important person and that they needed to see that the, 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 the key person in the organization. And I loved it because I used to walk out into the lobby Put my jacket on leave my office and i thought okay five minutes i'll have a meeting at my hand and for me it was always a challenge to go out there and just wow them to the point where when you're leaving they're thanking you for everything yeah. you have done for them and you learn more about your business in those interactions than you ever learn from the people that are happy with your organization it is such a great interaction because you really do learn so much and often when you convert those clients they become your best salesperson so I don't believe the client is always right, but I do believe we should always be respectful and courteous, et cetera, et cetera. And I do believe that we need to take those interactions as being really, really, really powerful. It's really powerful dialogue for us to learn what's going on, especially if you've got an organization where you are not the one interfacing and you've got employees or contractors that are because you don't always know what's going on in your business, at that sort of intimacy. So Robert, you said not always. So what are your thoughts on is the client always right?
3: So there's two sub components that I would focus on. One, the customer's not always right, because they oftentimes just don't know what they don't know. Now, yeah. if they have a correct assessment of your services and like say, I say I'm a forestry trainer, I go out there and I hit your animal. That's obviously, they are correct in that scenario. They paid for not that. And so they are correct in that scenario. But for the most part, they may just not know what they don't know. And mm-hmm. so they're not always right, but you still still should always listen to them. And the other part to this is, like you said, make sure you can fire them and all that, but always understand that everything is perception. So right now, let's just say after this is all over, we fly out and we're going to have a nice meal. And I tell you, this is from a, you know, Michelin chef and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter how good that chef is if you don't like that thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because your perception of you just may not like tartare, right? And so it's not that their perception is wrong. They may just not know what they don't know. And it's, it's okay to not like that particular thing. And you need to be able to relay that say, you know, this is a world-class chef. This is a, this is the absolute epitome of what this dish should taste like. And you can say, It just doesn't taste good to me. And that's perfectly acceptable. So it's not that they're necessarily wrong. It's just not the right thing for them. And that's from that discussion of what is it actually that you want to have uh, from your service. Perfect. Thank
0: you. Good answer.
2: Gina. Yeah, I think that uh, we get caught into the cycle of thinking that we should be everyone's dog trainer. You You cannot train all the dogs. You cannot train all the people, and that's okay. Sometimes it's not going to be a good match, and I think you're right. Then it's best if you let that go. But I think sometimes we fall into the trap of saying that they're that clients, you know, are incorrect. When what really has happened is we haven't set the tone. We haven't set the expectation up front. Yeah. So often the conflict I see in our businesses is conflict that could have been avoided if we had just done a better job of being clear about our policies, being Mm -hmm. clear about how things work, being clear about expectations. Up front and not just putting it into a contract that we slide across the table and hope they read and sign, but actually opening up a dialogue and saying, this is how we're beginning our relationship. So let's make sure we're on the same page. And when we do that, we find that we, the conflict goes away. There just isn't that much of it. But we yep. have to be clear and we have to be consistent with our messages. If we say okay. we don't accept cancellations, then it has you have to back that policy up. Um, and, and and you may have to say it more than one time is the other thing. I think we well, one time we told them we have a no cancellation policy, so they should remember that. No, we, you know, it's the same yeah. as when we're, we're teaching them training skills. They may need to know it and they may need to get yeah. that information in more than one way.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I also love the sort of psychological contract, the fact that we need to be explaining what everybody's individual roles are. You know what we're bringing to the table what we'd like them to bring to the table and like you say if if you've if you've discussed it and everybody's aware of it when conflict does occur you reference back to it you can reference back to the conversation it's not for mm-hmm. me for me it's the equivalent of this it's the equivalent of one of the things that i always used to sort of we used to train our, our managers is that if you're doing an annual review with an employee and you hit them with something in terms of their performance that they've never heard before then shame on you
1: right. because
0: they shouldn't be hearing that at an annual review it should have been addressed way back in time so that everybody always understands what the expectations are about performance about behavior and then that way you can have those really difficult conversations but you can have them in a highly productive manner it doesn't have to be I mean and I I you know, I hate that word conflict because conflict actually doesn't have to be or confrontation doesn't have to be unpleasant. It just it can still be an open, honest dialogue. And um, but having that reference point always makes it so much easier. Absolutely. Colleen, what are your thoughts?
4: You know, I'm going to springboard word off of Gina. I always use this in my training because I'm again, I'm talking about death and, you know, people so often in those conversations are just they're not present. Right. And so the one that I always use with my folks is the problem with communication is the illusion it's been accomplished. (laughs) So when you think about that and say, what did we talk about? I love the boundaries per what Robert said. They don't know what they don't know. I use another thing in my training, which is so often they do know what they don't want, but they don't know what they do want. Mm -hmm. Okay, I don't want an untrained dog. I don't want a dog I can't take to a restaurant. I don't want they know what they don't want. And then all along the way is to do these touch points that says, how are we doing? Let's go, right. let's go each other. How are we doing here? So we're very, very clear. I always kind of position it as, you know, that game that you used to play of which shell is the ball under? Get yeah. the dang shells off the balls. Who yeah. cares? Open communication. And if there's something, it's not that I'm doing something wrong. It's there's that I, I need to do something better. So yeah. is the client always right? Absolutely. They're always right in their head. Mm-hmm. In their head. Cause they had it, they had an expectation. They had their own expectation. They had their own definition of well-trained dog. They had mm-hmm. their own definition of this. And so what we need to do is come together and say, what's your definition? And here's my definition. Mm-hmm. Now are we on the same page. And I make it for you when we get these price shoppers. I always, whenever I do a presentation to a vet clinic, I say this presentation is not to sell me to you. This presentation to see is to see if we're meant to work together. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. Absolutely. Colleen, I think that
2: that is so brilliant, the they know what they don't want. We talk about this with initial consultations quite a bit, which is they, you're right, they don't know what they want. And when you when you really question them, sometimes they have no idea what they do want. And you have yep. to kind of help them get to what would what does well trained look like? And you have to give them specific examples. And I always say to trainers, don't start training until they've given you enough to write the training plan from. If you cannot envision exactly what that dog should be doing, not what they shouldn't be doing, but what they should be doing and in what context, you're not ready to train. And if you, if you do, if you, if you can write that training plan, if you can be that specific, again, your, your expectations are more likely to come into alignment with theirs because you've decided this is right. what the dog will do and in which context. And so it's really easy yeah. to see Are they there doing it or not?
4: And think about the conversation. You know, if you sat down with me and I'm a first time dog owner and, and all I tell you is you ask me, what are your expectations? And I say to you, I want a well-behaved dog. Okay. Well, that, that is wide open. Right. But if you say to me, what do you not want him to do anymore? I don't want him to bark when the doorbell rings. I don't want him to rush out the door. I don't want him to jump on people. I don't want him to hump the trainer. I don't, which mine does. I, you know, he's got all these, I, I can tell you what I don't want him to do. And if he stops doing all that, then I have a well-trained dog, which is yeah. what I ask him to do. And yeah. it's my job as the trainer then to say to you, what if he does
2: this instead? Can he do this?
1: Yeah. Because
2: I, I want to know not what you want him, don't want him to do. I want to know what I'm supposed to be training him to do. Yeah. To do. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But yeah. I expect
0: I had that philosophy when I met my husband because I knew exactly what I didn't want in a husband, but I wasn't really, Robert's laughing because he knows Rick really well. But I, I didn't, I knew what I didn't want, and I, but I wasn't sure what I wanted. And one day I went, you, you sort of, you hit all the check boxes in terms of what you don't do. So yeah, you're a keeper.
3: <laughs> Rick is perfect. We'll stop.
0: <laughs> and, and he is, isn't he? He absolutely is, yeah. No, it, it's interesting, isn't it? How, um, and I'm just sort of flashing back to when I bought my last car. I went to the dealer, and I he said, "Well, what are you looking for?" I said, "Well, I don't bloody know. I don't even like cars. I mean, they just get used to get from A to B. There's nothing else in a car for me." Um, but I knew that I didn't want some big hunky vehicle, and I knew I didn't want something. I wanted something age appropriate, and the only thing I did want is something that I could throw my three dogs into. That was pretty much it. Um, but it, but it, but in some ways that makes our job easier, doesn't it? Because then there's open, There's so many possibilities because they're not restricting us in terms of possibilities. And um, so if we take the time to sort of coach them through it, like Gina said, then we've got, that's the client sold, isn't it? We've got we've got a great client. I find it yeah. hard to believe, actually, that we could even commence a training program without really sort of having tangible goals written down. Because where do you start if you don't really know what you're doing? Um that's sort of a yeah. head scratcher. But yeah. All right. Well, I promise i are going to keep you for half an hour and we've gone over our time as usual. Um, but I do want to just close with, what, with sort of one last question to, to all of you. Um, and that question is why, and I'm I'm going to ask this because I have a couple of friends that I meet every um, second Thursday. We sort of meet and um, have a drink, not alcohol, um, and we sort of talk about things. And one of the things that everybody had a really hard time getting going was getting newsletters going, and. Um, I've often done newsletters to my private businesses, but they've always been a bit ad hoc and they've never been happy with the way they look, blah, blah, blah. And I finally have got my act together in terms of getting nice templates up. And again, the impact is immediate in terms of what you're doing. So why is getting a newsletter out so important to your clients? Gina, we'll start with you.
2: Um, Well, we tend to we it's the way you stay in contact with clients. It's the way that you keep keep in touch with them. And I think in dog training, especially, we tend to treat our industry as a one and done. You train your dog and it's and you yeah. check the box and it's finished. And the greatest potential that I see with training businesses is keeping those clients and teaching changing the culture to the idea that, training your dog is a lifetime endeavor. And mm-hmm. so if you've got a newsletter where you can stay in contact with them, you can, st- you can start to develop services that bring brings them back over and over again. Instead of constantly finding new clients, you can better serve the ones that you have. And right. if you can improve your retention, you will improve your bottom line immediately. That's why you're, you see those quick results because you don't have to sell them. You already found, you went to all that work to find the perfect client and then we don't do anything with them. And the newsletter lets us do that. It lets us keep the conversation open. Perfect,
0: thank you.
4: Colleen. You know, let's unpack it a little bit because I think it's, maybe the word is not newsletter, maybe that is an avenue, but, but what is the way that you're gonna stay in front of your client for retention base? And I'm gonna give you something to think about here. Constantly in my pet hospice association, we talk about pulling in dog trainers because now we've got old dogs, we're trying to help them get outside to pee, we're trying to get them to walk down the hallway, and and we're bringing in yoga mats, and we're doing all these things that, quite frankly, should fall within the wheelhouse of dog trainers, okay? And as our end-of-life folks are coming out into the home, it's how do we stay there to Gina's point and be their lifetime care provider? How do we do that? How do we stay in front of them and say, As you look at your village that is going to raise that dog and we want a village of the care team from our veterinarian to our end of life veterinarian to the Reiki person, to the communicator, to the nutritionist, to the, all these things, the trainer stays in there through the whole stages of life. And so whether it's an e-blast, maybe it's just an, maybe it's just an email that you send out every month stating, I've got another person in my resource list. It's a Reiki person. It's a nutritionist person because I am your resource for life. So maybe it's not this template that Nikki talks about because maybe that's not your bailiwick, but maybe it's just an email that goes out once a month, once a month so that you stay when you, when you can, when you can have market share is when you can stay top of mind, but you got to stay in front of them to stay top of mind.
0: Yeah yeah on a side note i'm going to circle back to you in a couple of days about the um maybe doing some work together with the hospice association and ppg because i think there's a lot of really cool potential there
4: we're in tampa in september honey so i need to talk
3: to you about that
0: okay sounds good all right mr king you're last but by means not least
3: i'll be least because i'm not going to add a lot to that again it To circle back to the whole thing, it depends on what the people are looking for. So if it's a newsletter, that's cool, but it may not be what they're looking for. There are some things that are called unsought goods that you don't need to stay in contact with people. Like if I buy something that's supposed to last me 20 years, I don't wanna hear from you every day. I don't care about you. I I bought my thing, I'll spend 20 years. And so it it should be a waste of your time if you were to send out something every single day or whatever the thing winds up being. So what is your outcome that you're trying to do? And that could just be affect and that could just be being the top of mind. That could be all those things or it could be that you're trying to drum up clients, but it all depends on what you're trying to do. If I have continual services, then advertise those continual services and keep me in the know, because again, I may not know that you have a Reiki, which I don't actually know what that is, but now that I know what it is from this thing, now I know I need this, whatever that is, right? So keeping me in the know about those things can help me with those services. But again, sometimes I just want to be hands off. You're a yeah. thing that I need right now. Like a, a good example we give in class is ambulances. Ambulances are something that's an unsought good. You get that thing whenever you need it, and you don't want it anywhere else. So if you were to have a, you know, like an ambulance newsletter or something, that's no one wants that. <laughs> so find out cool. what it is that you want to do, and then get that thing to the people yeah. that need it.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thank you, excellent. Wow, you guys have been such a who. I've had such fun on this today. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm just gonna go around the room really quickly. Just tell everybody who you are and how they can get hold of you. Should they want to follow up with you and do any business or drill into your gray matter or whatever. So Gina, you go first.
2: Um, You can go to dogbizsuccess.com if you wanna check out services and consulting services um, and you can email info at dogbizsuccess.com.
0: Thank you much, Lee.
4: Colleen! I'm going to make it easy. Colleen.rocks. And that is the website Colleen.rocks. One L, two E's, as uh, Nikki has it on there. Uh, my Bailey Wiki is actually uh, founding of the, of the first pet funeral home in the country. Uh, but Colleen.rocks will get you to me. And then uh, Friday, you can come see me. I'm on at nine o'clock Eastern time. And we are, we are going to rock an hour. So come yeah. see me.
0: Excellent. Thank you. Dr. King, do
3: you what? Do you wish anyone to reach out to you, or would you rather the anonymous? <laughs> you can. I mean, I, I have the thing about it is, is I teach a lot of this stuff, but I don't really use social media all that much because I find it cumbersome. But if you want to go look it up, you can find us on our website. Again, I teach at West Texas A&M. If you want my email, r a at That's where you can find me uh i don't mind chatting with people I, I thoroughly enjoy interacting with people just make sure that uh if you don't hear from me within 24 hours email again because it got lost in spam but you can find me you can go out and find rate my professor and see how bad i am too so i'm everywhere
0: <laughs> just, just so you guys know robert's actually a board member of ppg so um he you, he yeah he's always been really supportive of ppg um, and and he, he gives presentations at all our events so and he'll be available at Geek Week. I'm saying that, but I haven't even asked him yet, but he'll be available at Geek Week this year. (laughs) Um, I think Rebecca manages his social and academic Mm -hmm. calendars. (laughs) Rebecca probably knows. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I've really enjoyed um, hosting you guys. You're you're such an awesome group of people. Thank you for all the support you give PPG. And um, yeah, and we'll see Gina tonight at six o'clock and we'll see Colleen on um, Friday. And Robert, Robert, when are you you presenting, Robert?
3: Tomorrow at eight. Prime
0: time. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks ever so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks, thank
1: you. Thank you. Thanks guys. You nice to meet you. Bye. Bye.
0: Let me tell you. Bye. Thank you to Dr Robert King, Gina Farris and Colleen Ellis for a fabulous discussion today. Thank you to the Two Hearts Pet Loss Centre, Dog Biz, Zing Pop Social Media, Two Hounds Design and Dognostics Education for sponsoring this event.